You're listening to Can I Help You with the love master himself, Craig Shoemaker. Craig Shoemaker here. Today I'm in Philadelphia, my old hometown. I realized in talking to my friend who's going to come be with us here that I've actually been in California more than half my life. And the first half of my life was in Philadelphia, born and raised. I started in a section of Philadelphia where I met our guest, who's not a celebrity. It's part of what we're trying to do on the show is just have people that are either part of my life or they could be a celebrity, they could not be. Most of the people in our hometown know him. He probably does most of their taxes for people from our high school, Springfield High School. But we've known each other since kindergarten. Elwood Elementary School, and he, we, he and I went to school together, and then I moved, he moved, we do all those, I moved so many times, I moved 13 times by the time I was in high school. I actually thought the word evict meant move, I thought they were the same word back then. <laughs> it was just a... How many years ago was that? 50, well, it was 55, 56 years ago. Uh, let's let's not do the counting, Frank. I'm going to have to edit that now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Frank Cassidy, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. It is called "Can I Help You." We'll get into that. Some of the ways I can help. Already helped you with your um, relationship that you're in right now. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. You say more words than that, by the way. It's a podcast. I know you're an accountant. He's used to being in front of numbers. Well, if we're going to get ratings here and numbers and podcast downloads, actually, I don't have ratings, they have downloads, you got to have to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Craig set me up with the love of my life. You beautiful. From 3,000 so, miles mean, away. Do you know how many marriages I fixed up? No, how many? Nine. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And they're still all together? None of them are together. <laughs> You're it. I'm it. And I'm that's not it. married yet. I, I know. That's why I keep, I keep trying to lean on you to get married. You know, so if you set I up have, nine people and now nine out of nine are divorced, why do I need to be I, number 10? I don't know about one of them, actually. I did it when I was, um, remember when I worked in the law firm? Yeah. Uh, Schneider, Harrison, Siegel, and Lewis yeah, in downtown huge, Philly. Huge law firm. Yeah. Well, I worked there as a clerk for years and a messenger and... Played on their, the lawyer softball team. With Scooter Libby, by the way, was on my team. Oh, wow. Recognize that name? Yeah, from Watergate era. Well, not Watergate. With Nixon, yeah. No, no, no. Scooter no. Libby was the Dick Cheney era. Oh, that's right. He, he yeah. took it on the chin for Dick Cheney. Yeah. But he was our shortstop, and I was the third baseman for the lawyer softball team. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I worked there for years and, uh, you know, put myself through college. Wow. Those, but, but, uh, Craig was always a hard worker. Yeah. Bus boy. But you and I worked together. You did lawns. You did. You and I you worked together. And yeah. not only that, you worked for my grandfather. Dishwashing. You did a lot of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> name all my menial jobs. I'm glad you remember them. <laughs> I'll come to you when I start forgetting things. Uh, we should do that. We should have like a pact. Yeah. If you start to forget things, you get a little dementia or something. Up, yeah. Just call me. I'm going to go, shoo. Hmm. Uh, remind me, who was our teacher in fifth yeah, grade? Who's that girl I made out with in eighth grade? No, it's always about that with you. <laughs> what was her Biz, name? Biz was her name. Biz Bulger, yeah. <laughs> Biz Bulger and Aileen Ross. Actually. They were my sister's friends. I used to harass them when they came over. Actually, we do have, uh, we have a lot of background. There, um, my first uh, sex was 
Not with you. Um, it was... Uh, it was uh, Ava Tamini. Correct. Ava Tamini. And you were I'll with her friend. That. I was with her friend, Sue Diller. And I think it was we Diller. were in my garage converted into a place I called yeah. the dungeon. But then we went to her house. That's right. Yeah. I got the floor and Greg got the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, hard, the that, hardwood floor. <laughs> hey, that's how it should be. And uh, yeah, you were working it and I was working it. You know, we were kids and trying to you know, uh, have relations that we didn't know. Now, uh, come to think of it, now I didn't have a dad, you had a dad. You always did, your dad's still around. But uh, you know what I always loved about your dad? He drove us everywhere. My mom Yeah, he refused. was good that way, yeah. He would pick us up anywhere. He was yeah. our Uber. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. He, Very he, patient that way. Yeah. But did he ever, like you had a big family. I'm always curious about people that did have dads that stayed around. Did he ever pull you aside and talk to you about sex? No. No. Never, <laughs> Simple never. as that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he never really did back then, no. It's like you had to find out on your own. I learned more from you than him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. I'm surprised you even have a girlfriend, if that's the case. So so I always I wonder see, that. Do you have, like, you know, they call it the birds and bees talk, but... No, he, I never he really... literally did. never said, do you have a girlfriend? Here's how you should treat her. This is what you should do. No. You know, because I didn't even know what the G spot was. No, he I didn't. Never, know I never what really the, talked to my father or mother. They didn't really I bring guess, it up. I guess most they were people kind of prudish that way. They were very. They just didn't bring that type of stuff up. No, you're a dad of yeah. Uh, three. Yeah. And two boys and a girl. Right. Have you ever had a talk with them? No, about, not really. Really, I wonder if we should start doing this. I've had little little talks. With yeah, them. I've had little talks. I told. You know, my sons to be careful. I, I actually did have talks with my daughter. <laughs> that's a, that's. A, I actually had did have talks with my daughter before she went to college. I told her about guys, make sure she, they don't use her. And you were, well, I really told her what guy. It was a lot, warning talk. It was a warning, yeah. A warning against people like you. Right. <laughs> I warned her. I warned her about that guys don't believe a word they tell you. <laughs> really? Yeah, I would tell her that. I said, I said, don't. Guys just want one thing. There is a double standard, though. Like I you did. didn't I have the same talk. I actually talked to my daughter about it, right. and not my sons. That's just yeah. With them, you said, "Go get them, kid." <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't do that. I mean, it really is. We're in the Me Too movement now, and uh, I don't know about you, but I've had some pause for reflection on this. Mm. You know, I I could definitely uh, be uh, the hashtag. I mean, because there's been moments where we're trying to get what we thought we wanted right you know we're sort of trained that way is to get you got to get you get laid you oh know? yeah we would try to get first base second base third i know base. and we would come back to each other and say i got third yeah third is um and then guy but guys would lie back then did say they? they got further than they would did you know that i actually put uh they used to call it marks on the bedpost yeah. and i took it literally and i my mom still has my bed that has little marks. Oh, my God. I took a pin. Huh. I can't believe I'm admitting this right now, but what the hell. Yeah. It says... <laughs> it says F, Yeah. you know, for that. All right. And then um, one of them, the categories was E-O. Do you know what E-O is? Yeah. <laughs> E-O. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's funny because the other day... And I put that... I take a pin and I put marks... On B, E, O, and F. Hmm. And um, I might have had H for it. I know you were the king of the hand job back then. Oh, I got it. Not giving, getting. You were yeah. the king. I remember that was your big report back to the guys. Yeah. 
The guy, she gives I remember it. the other day I was with Dina and I said she didn't even know what first, second, third base meant. She, she grew up in Catholic school. Yeah, she didn't even understand that whole terminology. I'd explain to her what it meant. This is just the other day. Yeah, just the other day. She never, growing up, they, she never, they never used that terminology. First base, second base, third base. We did. I remember one time I, yeah. I, t- I touched pubes. Yeah. I won't say her name, but right. you know her. And I called it, I got the shortstop, but I went back and had to brag. <laughs> but I mean, don't, I mean, it really is an issue, though, because we are so trained. Now, here you and I, you know what I really love about you, though, is, and my, same with my friend Dave, you know, Cerami, is it's amazing to me that we really turn out to be very conscious men. You know, I mean, yeah. conscious men and trans, we, we really wish to transform and be genuine. Yeah, we're very respectful, both of us. Now, yeah, now, but it's. I was respectful back then, but I just. What are you talking yeah. about? You were not. Well, I tried, but I. If <laughs> what do you, mean I, you tried? <laughs> Shoo! I got third. <laughs> That's not being respectful. Yeah, but I, I never did anything. To against the girl's will. I think that's what the Me Too movement's about. Okay, well, let's talk about that. I, I think been, there's a huge difference. What about the talking between into? You've done that. Trying and not, you know. But no, trying and succeeding in a way where you, you're not forcing your will in that way. Right. It's not that. That's where the fine line is. For yeah. me. It's great that we're having this conversation because people need to have no it. it is a fine line but, and, but and there we, are so many different levels and different degrees but if we were to admit stuff like that if we were to admit you know what we've done i've definitely done that where yeah. you know they'll say no mm. now there's the now the new thing is but if we weren't we weren't taught that if they say no you don't go any further right. now of course because yeah. it's in our consciousness but right. it's in a collective consciousness it was not back then that's right as a matter of fact we were trained the nowadays you if you're in an office and you hit a girl on the butt, you, you could get fired. Yes. Back then, and back probably, then it was no big deal. No. Was that, wasn't a big girl deal to there the was girl even a, even or a, the guy. It wasn't a big deal to the girl back then. They would just laugh. Right. They right. wouldn't take it personally. They wouldn't and, take and it And anyone listening now, just understand, everything we're talking about is just free-form talking. Yeah. And we're not saying that we condone the actions today or yeah. that we don't think that this... But, this, things this, have this, changed. This and kind of evolution are, needed yeah, to take yeah, place. People are more conscious of, of it. But uh, but back to you, when you were growing up, when she said no, I can guarantee there were a few times where you kept going. Oh, because yeah, you, I would you, keep trying. The yeah. talking into, the, yeah, yeah. okay, I'll go for the neck. Yeah. I'll give, you know, give her yeah. a hickey. Remember hickeys? Yeah, you would keep trying. Did you have hickeys back then? Oh, yeah, well, that was a big thing. That was a yeah, big thing. Yeah, we'd give girls hickeys all the time. Then they you would try to hide them from their parents or wear scarves the next day at school or isn't that they would a, wear makeup. It's and, like a branding thing. Yeah. It's like they're it's But like, some people were proud of it. They would come in like you. You would have ten hickeys. I yeah, I had one time I had fourteen. Yeah. Well that was when I was drunk and passed out and they did it intentionally <laughs> and they messed me up. But uh, I worked at the coach inn at the time. Yeah. I think that was one of your jobs. Yeah, I worked there. We bus were bus boy. boys, yeah. I was a bus boy there, yeah. And I had fourteen hickeys. Wow. And remember, they, they were in uh, those old trains. Yeah. We, 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 served, yeah. we served them in the tiny Each compartments. Had their own private compartment. They all had their own compartments, yeah. and we would serve them. In the, and guess who came to the, um, guess who came to, I had to serve, was our disciplinarian uh, from high school. And so uh, 
but Mr. Matula, well, he was mine in Enfield, and I had to serve him with all these hickeys, and I spilled coffee on his lap, and then, then the knife, remember the knife you had to put out the, oh, the yeah, sharp, sharp knife? Oh, knife for that bread. For the bread, right. Yeah. It went flying. It did like a triple flip Luganus right onto his lap point first. Oh so I know he thought I was doing this on purpose. <laughs> so, uh, and of course I did the old, what are some of the lines you used to say about hickeys? Oh, I... Uh, Ran into a clothesline. Yeah. And he said to me, it must have been a lot of clotheslines. Because <laughs> I, had, I had all these purple marks on my... So, so you did, you know, make great efforts, though, when they're saying no to convince them to a yes. Yeah. It's almost like a yeah. sales thing that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I would try my best. Yeah. And I would be persistent, too. You were. And some girls... And today, they could call that. You could yeah, be in the meeting. So, yeah, some... Yeah, today it would be socially unacceptable. Back then, it was probably, you know, it was acceptable. It was and, socially acceptable. And what do you think of it not being acceptable now? Well, I think, I think there's so many different levels, and it depends on the relationship. It depends if somebody's your boss, or your. It depends on on where it is, where the what what if you're in the workplace. There's a lot of factors you're, you're naming here, yeah. but I don't. You think it's like uh, it's kind of like we got to get a little more clear. Now, there's the, also the woman's part in it because sometimes they're saying no because they're kind of saying no, yeah. but they really want you to keep advancing. So um, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing. Yeah, it's a difficult thing because some women are overdoing it and they're just becoming victims and other people. Right. And, you know, Which and you and some I, of her are using that also. You and I, though, yeah. we are, we're definitely want to hear the voice and we yeah. don't want to label someone a victim, but once in a while there are, we're talking about that earlier today about, you know, men and women, the the victim types that don't take responsibility, no apology. We were talking about that, about um, politics, you know, that bothers us. You know, people that won't, my family, a lot of my family won't, they won't accept responsibility or apologize or do anything that says that they have a role in whatever that conflict is. And it's, it's very upsetting to me. And I said today, I think there's two different categories of people, I think, yeah. right? I mean, is there a third? I mean, there's either the people that are that way, that accept responsibility, or the ones that are, it's always about finger pointing and blame. Yeah. Well, when you go to college and you do economics 101, they have a whole thing called a bell curve. And most of the people fill it into this thing. But then you have all the people at the extreme ends. Extreme ten, ends. Yeah, extreme yeah. ends. Like you might have 10% of the population are just crazy. Yeah. 10% <laughs> at least of the, of right. the population is just crazy. And some people would think we are. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. Yeah. But you've been at the same business. We are talking about this today too. Is uh, By the way, we're in Frank's apartment. And uh, talk about helping. He's helped me when I come to town and my hotel isn't paid for. Frank has put me up in his uh, place here. He lives in a, a high rise in Philadelphia with uh, the average age of the tenants are on oxygen. <laughs> they're, they're, I'd say 80, 80 plus. <laughs> yeah, 80 plus. And then Frank's in here. Do they ever come on to you? Uh, sometimes, yeah. I flirt with the ladies in the lobby, <laughs> the older ladies. When they get older, I used to visit my friend who was put in hospice care in an old age home. Mm, yeah. And they have no filters anymore. They just walk right up to you pull their teeth out and go, how about a Hummer? <laughs> so, I haven't had that happen yet. But. So, folks, if you're ever in desperation for some sort of sexual connection, just go to a, uh, an aftercare facility or somewhere where the 
elderly people are. Yeah. They have nothing to lose. Matter of fact, you know the biggest cases of sexually transmitted disease in the United That's States. That's what I heard. Yeah, is this place in Florida where yep. all these retired retired people, everybody there is over sixty-five. Yeah, and it has the most prevalence of sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, the noise you hear in the background is a siren reminder we are in Philadelphia. So yeah. that might happen quite a few times. This is my first interview on the road that I've done in the podcast. I've taken it on the road. We've done this in a car with my friend Ryan. And now we're here in Frank Cassidy's living room uh, with the sirens in the background of Philadelphia. A lot of, lot of crime in this area. But not in your building because... It's very safe, this building. Yes, it is. It it's 24-hour security. Remember, I worked at the Morgan House, which yeah. is very similar to this—a yeah. high-rise, yeah. mostly older Jewish women. Yeah, the men always die first. Yeah, that's all. I, I you're never supposed to say always or never. Yeah, I'm going to say always in this yeah. case. In this building, there's a lot of women. <laughs> when, when, I at, when I worked at Morgan House, they'd be at the pool. Yeah, and you remember the pool I worked? Yeah. That was another job yeah. I had. And I sold hot dogs on the side. Yeah. I was always hustling. Yeah. And they would go, Craig, the sun moved. Come move my umbrella. I have a condition. <laughs> I said, the sun didn't move, Reba. The earth rotated. Don't be fresh, Craig. I'll take care of you at the end of the year. That's what they always say to me. And the, the, uh, the guys would come down on the weekends who were living. Then they would die. And then the widow would jo go join the other side of the pool, the sunshine girls. Ooh. That's what I called them. And they were all lined up with umbrellas. It might as well have been in a mall. Did they hit on you because you were good looking. Well, that they did. They did. Uh, they would. I was a. Surprised that you could have made I was, a living. I was. I could have been. I was. A, I was a maintenance man. I'd go up in there in my shorts. I was. A, I was a maintenance man. On the side, I was also a maintenance man. I also did it for a living there at the Morgan House, this big high rise. And it would come up to me and they'd go, Craig, I heard you're a fixer. I have a lamp. It flickers. It flickers when I try to turn it on. And I would go up, and the one, I'll never forget it, she greeted me in her bathing suit hmm. with these big, you know, they have those big bazooms, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, those old ladies. Yeah. And there we go. And she would drop things on the floor on so purpose. that she would, yeah, on purpose, so that yeah. I would bend over, and then she would bend over. And all of a sudden, I'd be looking at these fun bags <laughs> right in my face, and they, oh, they came on to me big time. But I never went there. Yeah. And I would admit it, but I, I never went there. But, oh, yeah, they definitely... They would make up problems. They would like rip, rip, rip the cord off of their toaster just to, so they could have it repaired <laughs> so that I would come up and see them. But you did a lot of like, um, we did things with our hands back then to make, uh, make money. Yeah. The, not hands like, you know, I put my hands on some of these older ladies, but they, we did things. I know you helped my grandfather with cutting lawns. Yeah, well, he had his own business. I helped him a couple summers. Yeah. Yeah. One th what was the one thing you did? Big like, mansions in Chestnut Hill. Remember that? that yeah. With the big tractors? Yeah. That was the first time I ever rode anything yeah. besides a bumper car. Yeah, he had me riding tractors, cutting grass, a lot of landscaping type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I always had a problem because I always felt like he liked you more than me. His own, <laughs> his own blood. Because I didn't like getting up in the morning. He, yeah. He, yeah, you had to start early with him. Which yeah. was embarrassing. Yeah, you had to start early. You start these lawnmowers at 7 in the morning. Yeah. And I'm going... Hey, there's... Well, sometimes I had to meet him at 6 in the morning yeah. just to get to the job by 6.30. Right, because the, it was yeah. dark out. And yeah. he would pick you up yeah. because we didn't drive back yeah. then. Yeah, This is before we drove. But uh, yeah. my grandfather, I got to know him a little bit by doing that. And I know you did. And, yeah. and you were... Uh, 
yeah, you were part of our family for a, a very long time. But some of the other jobs you had, well, we worked together at the Coach Inn as bus boys. Yeah. And we were dishwashers at 21 West. 21 West. They had great a fancy food. restaurant at Chestnut Hill. I loved it because great food. But we would we would eat like crazy. For free, yeah. For free. Steaks, flavignon, whatever you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they had great gravy too. Yeah. I learned how to be a sous chef there too yeah. and cook. Yeah, right. Yeah. You just you advanced your way up there. No, too, I pretty much was a Are they dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as you can yeah. go. <laughs> I didn't cut the carrots correctly. You <laughs> made these days a dishwasher. I couldn't chop the garlic very well. I just mm. hope that you cut my taxes properly because Frank is my accountant, and you're one of few people. I, we discussed this also. You're one of the few people that we can say that we do the same thing I've been doing the we, same thing for 20, since I was 22, for the last 40 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, so don't tell anybody your age anymore. Stop years. with the age, stop with the age already. Yeah. People think I'm 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Hollywood. Right. So we have been doing the same occupation since college. Yeah, I know, I don't even think about that, but it's amazing. But no, very few people do that. Yeah, Most people change people jobs, yeah. careers. Yeah. Our friend Steve, Cerami, yeah. all those people, they, they've all... One check, he must have changed jobs 10 times. I know, this week. Yeah. <laughs> By the time I see him, he's doing something I, I know, it's a, he's got some, some adventure venture uh, going in. But you and I, I mean, the one thing you haven't done that I've done, though, is wander off into any other areas. Am I right about that? Yeah, I've stayed in this area. You just I, do accounting. five-mile radius. <laughs> no, I mean, in your job, you've never branched off and said, hey, you know, I'm selling um, fuel additives on the side. No, you've never I've done anything like that. With and you never were thing. invited to, like, an Amway meeting. I think I probably did. Oh, I did. What Paul Tremel brought me to one. Really? Yeah. Tremble was in Amway too? Yeah, years ago. I was his guest at one. Yeah. I wonder if he beat me. Or, oh, no, I did go to his house for yeah, a meeting. I, went his I think house. I sponsored him in yeah, Amway. Yeah. I was the I grand went sponsor. I a meeting with Tremble Amway. I never made a dime, but I kept the uh, spray uh, shoe polish. It was excellent. <laughs> and the vitamins. Well, they had good soap, too. They, they had good soap, yeah. Good, I remember their shaving cream I used once. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing Amway I had good products. Yeah. I went down to the. I went down to Washington, D.C. and just got involved in the whole convention. I was standing and dancing. I'm going to be a diamond, mm. a diamond direct distributor. Yeah. And they said, you know, the big key for me is it said six hours a week you make a million dollars a year. I'm, oh, I'm up for that. Yeah. <laughs> six hours a week. Yeah. But I branched off a number of times. I still do. Mm. But you've always stayed with just accounting. You built your accounting firm. I remember one time, though, you sold insurance. Yeah, Could that yeah. be semi-related? Yeah, I would, it was to mainly to doctors, yeah. It was mainly we'd sell and life me, and disability insurance to doctors. I think I bought yeah, the you policy, might have bought or, a policy or, two or whatever, too, yeah. yeah so. that's, when, that's when I worked in New York City, and we had an office in New York City and in Philadelphia. I don't remember that. Yeah. But is that your own? It wasn't your own practice. No, it was, I was working oh, for... Oh, you worked for, like, it was called... Mutual uh, New York was money, it was, but I did right. the taxes on the side. But it was a great deal because they paid all the rent, the phone, all that. I had a little tax practice on the side. But my main job was we would market to physicians, young doctors mm -hmm. or residents. So can you give anybody tips uh, about taxes or about accounting or about savings? Can you give them any tips? Uh, sure. Take them down. Yeah, well, go ahead. Take us down some steps that might be helpful for us, especially people in the entertainment business. We're stupid. If you're, most of the people in the entertainment business are self-employed. 
Correct. So the taxes are actually very, very simple. The whole thing with taxes is you want to pay as many things with pre-tax dollars as possible. How's that? For example, if you have a thousand dollar bill and you have to pay it and it's not tax deductible, it's going to cost you $1,300 to pay that bill. If that thousand, same thousand dollar bill is tax deductible, it costs you $700. That's a huge difference. And if you're in California, the taxes are even higher because California is one of the highest states in the country for taxes. Right. So when you're self-employed, the whole thing is you want to pay as many bills as possible with pre-tax dollars. That's how you pay. Give me an example of you what can, I could you do. Can reduce your, that's how you can reduce your Give taxes. Give me some pre-tax dollars that I could spend. On, on what would I be spending them well, on? Well, there's most... So let's say a meal. We just had a nice Chinese meal here. Well, if you're on the road and you're out of town, you Everything. pretty much get all your expenses are deductible when you're out of town. They're deductible. Yeah, that's they're not 100%, though. That's a certain percentage. Well, meals you only get half of. Right. All your plane, hotel... All that you get 100% deduction right. for. Massages? Uh, if you're out of town, yeah. Really? Yeah, if you're out of town. Because yeah. you have to say they're medical? Well, no. Well, I mean, massage you could either put under medical, then you wouldn't get deduction because that's be over 7.5% any weight, you, what you make. So, I mean, that would be more of a medical expense, massage. Yeah, but that's... that's but if you, a lot of people would have their own business, and maybe you could put that as like an employee reimbursement. If you had like a company policy where people get massages and things like that. I always heard about write-offs. I mean, I let you handle most everything. Yeah. I should ask more questions. Maybe I'll just ask them now for everyone else. You always hear about write-offs, but they're really not what people think they are. You're not like right. making money back. Well, here, it's, the, the, it's, it's not it like, even What the IRS exchange. is all, people are always tr fighting with the IRS over what's tax deductible and what's not. The IRS says it's gotta be reasonable, customary, ordinary, or necessary in your trade or profession. So, for example, if a doctor buys a $50,000 Rolex and he says he's using it to take pulses, they could say that's unreasonable. But if he bought like a you know, $10 Timex, he could probably deduct it as a medical instrument. So, you basically, or if somebody had a safety deposit box and all they kept in there is their personal jewelry, it's technically not tax deductible. But if they kept in there their stock certificates, then it would be deductible. What's the most unreasonable client you've ever had to try to pass some of these things? Like a, like you just gave an example of a Rolex for a doctor and he's taking a pulse. Yeah. Have you ever had, I know you handle a lot of doctors. Uh, people try to deduct a lot of personal expenses, like personal vacations. Do you talk to them about it and say parties. you can't do this? Well, it depends on, if you're just doing their tax return, I just look at it. And if it's reasonable compared to what they make, then it's usually not a problem. You don't do people's everyday accounting, though. Uh, for some small businesses, we help them on their bookkeeping. We don't do their day-to-day -day paying their bills and things like that, no. And helping with their bookkeeping means every month or so? they. Yeah, we have a few it. people we do that for, but not that many. Because right. nowadays, things have changed so much with modern technology. 90%, if you're a small business owner, 90% of it you could do yourself. Let me be honest with you. I have been... I kind of step back when I look at people. You know, I'm obviously I'm in a very odd business, this show yeah. business, very yeah. odd. But I look at the regular people, and I see my friend who's a dentist. Mm. He travels everywhere. He's got this unbelievable house way up the hill. Yeah. The whole deal. I mean, he's got another house in Laguna. And I start doing the math on clients. Mm. And my friend who's a therapist. And I do the math. 
And it just doesn't add up. And the same with you with accountants. Like, how do you guys make so much money when you charge? Well, first of all, you're like once a year charge. Right. On your doing people's tax returns, which is how you make your money. How do you guys make, I know so many accountants that have so much money. How in the world do you guys do it? You don't get a commission on us? Yeah. Yeah. You just charge a flat rate? Yeah. Well, I make a lot of money on volume. I do it's volume. Two. 2,000 tax returns. Oh! No. So the average person is paying $500 or more. So it, it adds up with five, and I've been doing it a long time. So I'm doing the math. It's still not in the millions. I know some accountants that are millionaires, and I don't get it. How are they millionaires? Well, if you're it? any, every business is really the same. If you're a business owner and you have people working for you, for example, I have one employee. I pay him $100,000 a year, but he produces. 300,000 a year in revenue. So I make a profit off of his work. Plus what so you're I not did. counting, you're not counting your 2000 clients, his clients, you're not counting them. No, that, no, that, that 2000 includes his clients too. Jeez. So he might handle a third of my clients. He might be handling 500 of those 2000 clients. And if he goes and brings in the business himself, well then he would get paid more, but he has brought in zero. Really? Yeah. Zero. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. That's really surprising. Well, he's what too about, busy doing all the work and what, that I give him. Do you have some now, he gets referrals from existing clients. And do you, do you have a fear that sometimes, or do you have a contract that sometimes he could leave the firm, oh, I have, start he, his own, and take your client? Yeah, I have a contract that he's actually allowed to do that. What? And then he's, he's allowed to do that anytime he wants, but he has to pay me for the clients he takes. What does he pay you? So if he, let's per say, client or say he left and he took $100,000 of business, he would have to pay me $200,000, double the revenue. Double the revenue. But he's allowed to leave anytime. Over time. He could go across the hall and set up his own practice. So he's, Which is unusual because if you go to some lawyer, lawyers will say, oh, just have a non-compete. Yeah. And then he's not allowed. But that's law school 101. The lawyers are wrong. If you go to a state like Delaware, it's illegal. You can't prevent someone from practicing their profession. So I was more creative and I said, let the person leave anytime they want, just pay you for the clients. Because once you get to a certain point and you have a critical mass of clients, you can't service them all yourself. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you know, so you have to have, if you want to grow, you have to have other people help you. And, and how many people do you have working for you? Five. How many do five tax? all year round and another three or four during tax? But you guys literally have months where you're doing nothing and everything's well, just we're up. never doing nothing. But there is peaks and valleys. Not actually because of modern technology, computers and software yeah. and the Internet and email. I would say it used to be now it's almost 80 percent of the revenue is January through April. And then uh, say June. Is June when, slow. That's when you and I are vacation. May slow. November slow. You're always my golf buddy when I come here. Yeah, and, May's and, great. And you're June, always available. July, August. Well, I good, I'm good at delegating. Well, what are you delegating then? The work. But you're not doing anything in July. What, 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 oh, what, July what is not a busy month. Yeah, but well, what, what would you be even doing in July? Like prepping, like doing... Greg, actually, Greg, who works quarterly. for me, is actually very busy the whole month of July because he has a bunch of quarterly little doctor's offices. Quarterlies. And he goes to them. There's a few he actually does payroll, although most of them have a payroll service. But he actually goes out to a bunch of clients quarterly and, and handles a lot of bookkeeping issues with their business. So if I were an accountant and studied accounting mm -hmm. in college like you did, yeah. I saw it in your yearbook. Yeah. 
you said it says business and accounting right. and you kept yeah. it going it, would you recommend that someone works for a big firm first and then goes out on their own is that uh, usually how it works you don't want to start you, off by just having your own firm. no yeah you, you can't it's really hard you can't actually in pennsylvania most states require you have at least a minimum one-year experience and now they want you to get a master's degree before you can even get your cpa if you're an accounting major you want to get your cpa no matter what yeah. because it gives you more choices because you don't want to just come out of college accounting is a accountants are a dime a dozen there's so many jobs yeah. it's amazing really? but you can get a job with the government you can go work for a big corporation you go work for the casinos you could do millions of jobs but if you get your cpa you get a higher level and you, you can start your, at a higher level get your CPA? and if you go to a big firm first and then then you would start at a higher level if you left that big firm at a corporation you pass you could pass somebody who's there for 20 30 years <laughs> and now the now the thing is masters yeah now they which, so industry. if you were just starting now, the now, accounting industry is making kids out of college just, get more credits. You, if you were starting now, you'd be a little behind the eight ball without yeah. the masters. Yeah, when I did it, when I got out of college, you had to have two years experience, uh -huh. and for working for someone else, or you couldn't get your CPA, mm -hmm. and you had to pass the CPA test, which is a hard test. Now, do you visualize retiring? No, I can't retire ever. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many bills. I guess that's. I have an ex-wife who got a million dollars from me. I, I can't ever retire. But I like working, so I don't mind. I think retirement is a big fallacy in this country, dreamed up by the financial service industry to get people's money. Yeah, they call it retirement accounts and yeah. things like that. Right. So I mean, it's good to be financially independent, which is a wonderful thing, but there's a lot of people retire and they wish they didn't retire because they don't feel good about themselves, they don't feel productive, and sometimes the higher level people really fall apart when they retire because they go home and their wife's nagging them all day and they. You know, you can only golf a certain amount. Or he's nagging her. Yeah, or vice versa. Right, yeah. So they don't feel good about themselves, so they don't do well in retirement. Yeah. Some people do extremely well in retirement, and they can't wait to retire. Other people retire, and, it's, well, you and can they're retire, dead within a year or two. But you could retire from what you do. <clears throat> I tried that for nine months. Yeah. But I hadn't didn't have a plan. Right. <laughs> I didn't have a backup yeah. plan. Yeah. But it, you could retire from what you do, but not retiring from making money or some yeah. sort of avocation or vocation you want to have something that you're passionate about yeah, i noticed these doctors i deal with a lot of them are financially extremely well off but they keep working and working working. they enjoy working and and do you still have passion for what you do yeah not all the time but yeah not not 100 percent of the time so let's get back to the, the the sort of the transformative stuff this is what i've noticed about you and it's quite frankly a big surprise i didn't have you on that list mm. Although you did do something in fifth grade that indicated to me that you had the kind of yearning to be of service. Do you remember what it was that we did in fifth grade? <clears throat> no, I remember, I remember grade. you organized something in the woods when we that, did a yeah, whole thing. That, but you, that was you. I think you organized it. I have a picture it. of you with me, though, with a yeah. shovel. Maybe you were just there for the photo op. <laughs> Maybe. But I know you Maybe were the, you were the, you were the one who organized it. I, I, I just followed along. But I think you did the whole lot of that organizing. It was for environmental. Yeah. yeah, it was an environmental thing. Yeah. So, uh, and we cleaned the creek. We yeah. pulled out shopping carts and things. Oh, yeah, it was a mess. Yeah, yeah, it was a big mess. And we went and we cleaned it and... I think that was my first press clipping I ever got in my well, life. Well, you organized a lot me. of people, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. yeah I think we got in the Springfield Sun. Yes, exactly, the big newspaper. Yeah. So, in Miss Wasson's class. Yeah, remember she was proud Wasson? of us. We were her first class she ever had. Were you in the class, in Mrs. Stout's class, for uh, fourth grade? 
Oh, no, you came in fifth grade. Yeah, I came in fifth, yeah. Uh, to uh, but, uh, Mr. Trichler. Trichler was the first teacher I had. Oh, man, that guy. Yeah. Then Watson was the Do you remember how year. he used to punish us? Yeah, Trichler was fifth grade. Watson was sixth. Watson was sixth, yeah. But do you remember how Trichler punished? Do you remember some of the punishments he gave? Another thing that would, no one would ever get away with. Yeah, I don't remember. He made I me go, well, because you weren't a bad kid. You were well, quiet. Yeah, I remember I switched from <clears throat> Catholic school to public school. And every time I got called on, I stood up and everybody would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was respect, I was taught to respect the teachers. I was scared to death of the nuns. Yeah, well, Mr. Treichler, he would clean his ears with his keys. That mm. was first of all. Mm. These gigantic balls of wax would come out. Mm. And I used to make fun of him. And then he would torture me and Paul de Blasey. Paul de Blasey, beat, he beat him up right mm. in front of us. But you don't remember he me, he made me hold books out like I was you know like like I was on a yeah, cross. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. And I was yeah. up there with the books and I was struggling and mm -hmm. just in pain. You keep them up, shoemaker. And he but we had corporal punishment. But you never were one of those. Yeah, guys. I never got punished by a bad by trick <clears throat> or anybody. Did yeah. you ever get in trouble? I can't remember. Oh yeah, I got in trouble with Gillespie. One Gillespie time in junior high school. Uh, one time, a couple of times. We ever put in, in the, that little area in the well in the well. Yeah, and they called it but the nothing well. Nothing that bad. <clears throat> It was but I did have to go to the well a couple of times. The well, I got in trouble for talking in class a lot. The well reminded me of um, in Salem when they put the people in those stocks, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and you're on display. Right, right. The criminals are in the... We, right. Everybody who passed by would look down in this little area, mm. and it was called the well across yeah. from his right. office. Yeah. I was putting that well so I many got in times. more trouble in Hillcrest than I did in Penn Manor because I remember go, had a couple of detentions at Hillcrest. Well, we got a hold of it. Yeah. We yeah. got a hold of the Catholic school kid. Yeah. You started off in public school, then went to Catholic school, and we got a hold of you, and we corrupted you. Yeah, the first... Got you drinking at early week age. I was there, I had a big fight with Steve Roman and... That's right. And uh, Reagan. We, Ward Reagan. Ward yeah. Reagan, yeah. We st we started drinking at an early age. Yeah. I, you were my first drinking, too. Yeah, we were drinking that... Do you remember what, what, what we had? Concoctions, we used to make them up. I remember what it was called? Yeah, weasel the, piss. Weasel piss. <laughs> yeah, weasel piss. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, we would take um, booze... Yeah. From from babysitting jobs. Yeah, we mix it all together. I mix it all together. Close my nose. Well, we take a little bit from a, a lot of different yeah. bottles and mix it up. Because we didn't know what was in there. We was, didn't want to get caught. Yeah, it was so, like whiskey, vodka, vermouth, rum. Verm yeah. It was all like everything mix, that they mix, had yeah. in their liquor cabinets. Yeah. All the parents. Right. And we take little bits of each. Mm. You know what's funny is having kids now, and they, they think that they're going to get away with this. Yeah. With, you know, like well, I always get people give me wine. You know, and I have a whole area. That I regifted anyway. <laughs> I always mm -hmm. regift it. Yeah. And I, one night I'm going out. I'm like, "Where's my regift? I gotta gotta bring a bottle of wine right. and the tyrant." And of course, I, I know who did it, and he denies it. I was like, "Hey, Justin, where's the bottle of wine uh -huh. uh, that was in there?" He, oh, I, I didn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> but but actually, it might have been his friends because we <coughs> we I don't know if you remember this. We even robbed. We, we remember the house we used to rob for uh, all the uh, liquor. Yeah. Steiny, you and me. Mm, it was house? over in like Orland. It was just some house, oh. and we would yeah. go into the back yeah. and <laughs> take the liquor wow. and take the liquor. Hmm. Oh, you didn't do that? I probably not. I don't you weren't. That you, weren't you weren't as bad with the theft and yeah. stuff. You would only go so far with yeah. bam bad. It was, yours is like talking and stuff. I remember one time I got blamed for theft I didn't even do from Gillespie of all people in junior high school. What was it? But it was, it was Steiny was stealing all the Pumas yeah. from the Flower Town Sporting Goods. Yeah, from And Oregon. I would hang around with Steiny all the time. 
And then Gillespie, it was like a whole ring. Steinem has his old a dozen pairs. He would he would sell. He would and put then, the pumas then, underneath so of his he, armpit. Gillespie wanted me to rat Steinberg out, and so he he got me and said, "Oh, I heard you're stealing pumas. <laughs> I must have been wearing a pair of pumas to school that day." <laughs> well, they, he and Ward Regan sold them there. Oh yeah, yeah. They yeah. put them under their armpits. Yeah, they had it down to a. It science. was at Oritz, actually, Chestnut yeah. Hill Sporting yeah. Goods. That yeah. was their big. But ring. also Flowertown Sporting Goods. Too. Oh, they got them too. I think he told me they were tougher. Yeah. And they had that really hot girl yeah, that worked yeah, there, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you bought them, and it, uh, well, now you can admit it mm. in front of everybody who's listening, yeah. all 12 people. Yeah. <laughs> Did you rat them out? No, I didn't rat Steinberg out. I never rat him out. You went into the well and took oh, one yeah, for Gillespie, the team? No, I, Gillespie kept, accus- I said, kept accusing me of stealing. I said, no, I didn't steal any. I didn't, he kept accusing you didn't, me. You didn't cave under pressure? No, I definitely didn't cave. I'm going to admit something to you. I never admitted to anybody. Yeah. I got caught by the police on the roof of Penn Manor. Oh, really? And they took me in. And they basically do give you that. They go, who are the badder kids than you? Hmm. And I ratted one out. And I can say it now because he's dead. Who was it? <laughs> it was like sixth grade. I got caught on the roof. And I was doing other bad stuff. Yeah. And they pulled me in the police station. They said, give us the names. And I'm like, uh, Matt Sillen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was bad. He was bad, yeah. right? So I gave him up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember you and I went to Stokesbury Mansion one time. Oh, and we got caught cop. with the dog. And we, I was I scared ran. to death because they had this German Shepherd dog. Hold on, we have to describe to people what it was. It was, so it was this, place, this gigantic mansion, second largest mansion in, in the, the United States. In the United, next to Vanderbilt. It was, it was modeled after the Versailles, Versailles, Paris, and France. Exactly. And Stokesbury was one of the richest guys in America. He was like a, a partner with J.P. Morgan. This is turn to the... From the 19, early 1900s. Turn to the 20th century. Roosevelt yeah. had made visits to that place. Oh, everybody. It was, yeah. like, it was the big deal. Yeah, it was and, like a big Philadelphia and, society. Right. Yeah. And, they had, and they owned acres and acres, acres of yeah. which our homes ended yeah, up are on... being built there. On the Stokesbury. From my house, you could walk so right and so we would give tours for like a nickel well, we would quarter, sneak in they had cents. a tunnel we knew all the time we had an underground tunnel we knew where the tunnel was and we, we would go in there and give it was, people it tours. was scary too yeah it was because scary. it was broken down for like 20 oh, 30 you had to know 30, your way 30 40 years yeah they still had like generators that were still well, yeah, working. Yeah, we had people. We tell people it was haunted and everything. You're right. So we give them a tour, and you and I were giving this guy a tour. It was real musty. Yeah, yeah. Every, like everybody who steals the copper from yeah, it yeah. And, and fixtures, it just became they had this beautiful statues and all that. Their heads chopped. All off. All had the heads yeah, chopped yeah, off. Yeah. 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 So it was, but it stood for literally like 50 years with no one living in it. Yeah. You know, they pitched uh, a, a chemical oh, company, Penwalt, yeah. went in there for yeah. a little bit. Right. So then they had rooms that were like a ballroom with Bunsen burners. Yeah. They, they converted, I guess. They, it was. So you and I were given a hippie a tour. We went through right, the tunnel right. and we rounded the corner. I'd never forget it. Yeah. And a dog came out. Yeah, a cop dog. A yeah, police. German Shepherd. German Shepherd, yeah. And you and the hippie froze. Right. And I ran. And he took off. And the dog stayed there with us. And, and didn't you tell me that the guy goes sick him? And the, the dog the just sat. Yeah, the dog didn't go anything. He didn't do anything. I'm glad he didn't go after me. Yeah. His little, little yeah. kid's running for his life. I ran all the way to Jamie Rubens, yeah. next door to the police station, by the way, <laughs> ironically. But, yeah, I, I was caught in there with Carl Rodziewicz, too. And yeah. we were really quiet. We threw rocks and everything. And the cops were searching for me and Carl Rodziewicz. We were huddled. In there, it was real. Remember, it's real cold oh, and misty, yeah, yeah. musty, and we were in there huddled. And remember, the expression for homosexual was, was we go, we would say mo. Yeah, you're a mo. Yeah, back then. So I'll never forget. I whispered to him. We were, 
we could hear the cops like searching for us. Mm -hmm. And two of the guys got caught by the cops. Mm -hmm. But me and Carl, I'm going, I'm not getting caught. Right. So we were in like Anne Frank. We're in the well, hidden okay. in the attic. Yeah. And we could hear them out there. And I said, and I whispered, I go, I'm not a mo, but you got to cuddle with me, man. <laughs> I'm really cold. <laughs> we were shivering. And it turns out that the cops had left hours before, but we stayed and shivered. You there. Yeah, because our friends were, Ray Molotelli goes, ah, I've been home for hours. They didn't do anything. They just said, go home. Right. Because we thought we were going to be busted yeah. if we're in there. So you were never like me. You weren't into crimes and stuff. You, you, I never really stole. I mean, maybe a few things. You were like on the outside looking in. You were like hang out with some of us right, criminals. Right, right. But whatever happened, I had a big. Uh, we're, again, we'll get back to like the, some transformative moments in our lives. Yeah. Those moments where you go, okay, I'm not going down that road right. anymore. I know I've had quite a few. And we, oh, Ward Reagan, he was a. Trans I was about to say, staying that. away from him was when when he used to. Steal, there was a decision. He made. would steal everything, and then he had a whole locked room with with a, like a somebody's lawn with all the stolen items he had it was unbelievable he had a whole room full of stolen it was items. like a warehouse yeah, a warehouse yeah, yeah. it was a he had shoes everything do you remember the day that you basically decided i we hung with this guy we were yeah. in a gang called the rams oh yeah and uh <clears throat> but there was a decision that was made yeah where i said okay my other guy was devil kaufman and the well, I never really hung around. With him. I, hung I hung around, around with Ward Regan because they were neighbors. It's Steve Roman yeah, and Ward they were Regan. so close to me. Yeah. But Ward Regan took it to like way further oh. than we we're willing to go. Like, yeah. okay, I'll do little crimes, I'll do little things, yeah. but he would take it way far. Yeah, he would and steal car. alcohol or, or, yeah. or pot or whatever. He wouldn't hesitate he, to steal a car. No, no, he would get in somebody's car and steal it. And, but we were along with him, accomplices. Yeah, yeah. And then one day, <clears throat> I just go, okay. I think that's it. That's enough. Enough. Enough, yeah. enough is enough. That. Yeah, he was worse. Than so, Ron. what happened to you in your life that you would say that suddenly you're a guy that I know a certain way that we grew up together, but I know this kind of this new guy that's a conscious guy. What do you think was the reason for that, and when do you think it happened? I know there are gradual times, but do you have any of those those moments in life like where you go, aha moment? Yeah, yeah, like that. Like suddenly now you're reading Neil Donald Walsh, who's my favorite author. He wrote Conversations with God. Yeah, I, I've read. I think I've read about five or six of his books. Okay, so what Frank Cassidy, the guy I know, the 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 goofball driving a Nova, is <laughs> is not is not the guy who I see as doing Neil Donald Walsh. What happened to you? Well, I think I surprised a lot of people because I'm very into. Um, new, I guess you could define it as new age things like Walsh. And well, you're into spirituality. Tony Robbins, I like. I right. mean, I'm very fans of certain people. I like Wayne Dwyer. Dyer. Dyer. And, <laughs> um, you know, people like that. I agree. I like their re material. I read their books. What, but what happened? Did you have something in your life? You can be honest on here. Did you have something in your life where you went, that's enough? Uh, that doesn't make me feel good. Uh, I don't want to head down that path anymore. Where there's certain incidents in in screenwriting, uh, they call it an inciting incident. Um, I, I wouldn't say there was no. There wasn't really one thing, but there might have been a more some series of, of things like where you just said to yourself, "You're looking in the mirror one day. You're going, this path I'm on is not one that's going to be rewarding or fulfilling um, or mindful." What happened? Where you went from just you know, the basic guy going along with the 
with the boys kind of thing. Where now you're going, you know, I'm an individual and I'm going to take this into a uh, higher level of living. Well, I always had a deep desire to do my own thing. I never wanted to work for other people. I felt Yeah, but beyond that, beyond that, I'm uh, talking about uh, the real, the stuff where you're by yourself and you're going, that doesn't resonate with me anymore. What, what happened? Because it's, I don't want to call it rare, but that is the one thing I want to encourage in people is to say, take that pause from being in the group, going along for, you know, what, what other people do, the peer pressures and all of that. Something happened where, like, <laughs> you were in a gang called the Woods. Yeah. I was in a gang called the Dungeon. Yeah. In high school. Yeah. I was very proud because our gang had shelter. Right. You were in the woods. Right, right. <laughs> and the we lot. were in the woods. And the lot gang. When the rain, got, we got wet. Yeah. Then Craig you, had shelter. Then he all kind of came to me. But you started it. You were the leader of that. Group. I was the leader of the dungeon gang. And then there was the lot gang. Yeah. They hung out in a parking lot. And right. you were the woods. So one day you're going, all right, I like the Woods guys. These are my buddies. Well, I was friends with Tommy McDougal and Mark Remy, but those guys drank a lot, way too much. Right. But was there a moment that you went, this doesn't resonate. They'll be my buddies for life, but yeah. this doesn't resonate. This way of life doesn't resonate. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember uh, some moments that happened where you said, I'm not taking that path anymore? I remember one time I got so drunk. From drinking hard liquor, uh -huh. I, I decided I, I was so sick for like three or four days, I never wanted to drink hard liquor again. So it was literally a that, sickness from liquor that no, really that, made this? No, that might have been what, what... There was a shift that took place. There had to be, or, or like a bottom or, a, or something happens. I can remember a number of mine uh, through the years that led to this. It's just a different way of living. And we were talking... Well, I remember when I was in senior year of high school, freshman year in college, I read the Napoleon Hill book that had a big influence on me, Think and Grow Rich. Yes, yes. And that book really inspired me. And that was one of the first books of its ilk. Yeah. You and know. so I read that. Then years... Um, but you, a lot of times you're talking about things with money and things in career. I'm, something happened to you, mean, you like on a spiritual level. On a spiritual level, where you have a different, a higher consciousness than than a number of your friends probably do. Like you don't have those talks with your friends. You might have with me. You might say, yeah. "Hey, Shu, I got Neil Donald Walsh downloaded." Oh, look, he just emailed me. And yeah, you're right. Actually, you're one of the few people that uh, that I ever actually talked to about that type of stuff. Yeah, like none of the Woods guys would. I've never even talked to any of those guys about it. None of them ever. No. Really? No, never. None of them. Not even Tommy McDougal, nobody. So you keep it... Now, Mary Kay knows because we were married. Right, but, but you keep it surface level. Yeah, surface level. Exactly. With all of them, all the old them. friends. Yeah. But you see, that's what I'm really digging about. I have a... a now, Steve Lawrence, we talked about it a lot because we went to you Tony, Tony Robbins seminars together. Right. So him and I talked so about it. So same here with me and Steve. And I actually am fortunate that mm. I have a number of friends mm. that share that similar need to grow I think further. in me, it was, a, it was always a burning desire to grow, to learn more, to get away from my environment. My father wasn't the easiest guy to get along with. You know, some people would call him abusive, but he was a typical, I don't know what to say, stereotype Irish, but he was very critical. 
He's a very critical Your person, dad? my father. Very critical, yeah. He was always quiet around Yeah, he was very quiet. He was very soft-spoken. But my mother a... ran the show in our family. But when he was around you, he was Well, critical. he was a critical person in general. That's just the way he was raised. How did you turn out so different from your big family? You are very different, I think. Or you could tell me I'm wrong. Well, I, mean, it... I know your siblings my whole life. Well, I... Why are you so different, do you think? There was a lot of... In my family, I was one of five kids. I was number two, so... I always like would I would never be home. I would always spend time outside With without yeah. you or right. I would always I learned more from outside my family than inside my family. Yeah, you wanted to get out. I wanted to get out. Yeah. Okay, well now we're on to one. There's one aha moment where yeah. you're going, I don't want this. Yeah. So getting away from that was your first step right. to freedom. Yeah. Basically, to the inner freedom yeah. that you're experiencing more. Right. Today. And my mother wanted when it came time to go to college. I refused to look at, I didn't want to go to a college where I would have to live at home. So I wanted to go to a college where I could live away. Now I only lived an hour away, but it was far, <laughs> it was at least away. Right. Okay. It was far. And I was not a good student. I was never a good student. I wasn't a good student. Maybe I should edit that. Maybe I should edit that out. I wasn't a good student. <laughs> People are going to want to go to you for their accounting. But anyway. I, well, I wasn't a good student in college either. But what happened was I learned. After I got out of college and I wanted to pass the CPA test, I learned how to actually take tests. Now look at that. Accidentally in this conversation, you got your second aha moment. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so if you came to these two spaces, you said, at home is not working for me. Right. And, you're, and quite frankly, your siblings are a little, uh, yeah, they're, a little different. Yeah, yeah. They're a little different than most. Your brother, if we would ever call the house. These are these yeah, are the Ray, days when you only had one house phone. Ray got in a lot of fights. There was always turmoil, confusion. There was a lot of, in my house growing up, was always a lot of turmoil. Yeah. Yelling, screaming, turmoil. Right. And if, if, by the way, calling your house was no pleasure. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. This. Peter, when he would answer yeah. the phone, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It, it was lucky if we ever got a hold right. of it. Those are the days of one phone on yeah. a wall. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he's not here and he would hang the phone right. up on you yeah. but um so yeah so those are two of your moments and then something probably happened you were married a very long time got married at a very early age divorced from 25 her, was married for but you knew her since high school years. i was her last date right she dated you and she met and then she married me next i i, I took her to two a, dramas for her I, I took her to like a dance <laughs> yeah and we held hands right. she had alligator hands yeah and uh <laughs> she was approved back then yeah yeah so I, uh, I, yeah, we never went on another date, but we went to the one day to like a dance over in Maniunk or something. So then you got married at an early age and now you're on this kind of train of marriage and you're in there. Yeah. Where within the marriage did oh. something happen where you became an individual as opposed to a couple? Because you were a couple for all those years. Yeah, we were lost for in, 35 years. Yeah, lost we in... We dated some, for seven, then we got right, married. But kind of like... You had to become a lot of what she wanted. Is that would you say that's a fair statement? Like yeah. she she dictated kind of the directions that you took. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Come on, man, we're going deep here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I would say yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we are we were married for twenty seven years. The last ten were not very good. But I'm saying, yeah. to get to that not very good part, you probably had to adopt. And adapt. Actually, part a lot of, I, of here's I know exactly what happened. Mary, she was a very difficult personality to live with. She was very high strung, 
very nervous. She always thought that, you know, kind of had like a, the world was out to get you. She kind of, she had a very, she was always thinking, she, she, on the edge. She was always on the edge. She always thought something was right around the corner was going to happen. She, she was, she was not really a very positive person. She was two different personalities. In public, right. she was one way. In private, she was another way. So you almost recreated a lot of the chaos and mayhem from your house. Yeah. That you wanted to get away from. And ironically, you went right into this marriage, basically, yeah. in a relationship that duplicated what you already knew and were trying to get away from. Would uh, you say that's uh, pretty much... Yes, yeah. You know, no, you got yeah. involved in more chaos. But what I'm trying to get at... I'm just trying to dig a little deeper is your individuality always wanted to emerge. Yes. This, this, this yes. guy wanted to emerge the one who is shifting and conscious, but that what you were unconscious in making these decisions because she made a lot of them for you. Well, I came to the conclusion or they're based in fear or years ago when I first got married that I, there's nothing I can do to control her behavior. So the only thing I could do to make things work and we, you know, we had had kids at that point was, I used to read constantly all these self-help books, which they all basically say the same thing. You have no control over other people's behavior, but right. you can control your own behavior. So I really made an effort to not let outside things bother me. And there we have it. Our third I didn't moment, let things, our third outside moment things bother is me. you finally realize within the structure of this, because we do all live in structures, religious right. structures, schools, well, educational structures, yeah. and we're conditioned. And you said, I'm going to take myself out of this conditioning and find out who I am. I'm going to read these books. And that's what you did to right. retrain your brain and retrain you. Well, I went to and that's books, who you are today. Seminars. Yeah. I try to get a hold of whatever I could. And a lot of them are these things. They really do work. They make you feel better. They, they work if you apply it. It it's works. Right, exactly. All right, well, that brings me to the final thing is... But it works in every aspect of your life. It doesn't... Yeah. It works with money. It works with relationships. Health. It works with ev health. It works with yeah. everything. Everything. I agree. Yeah. And that's where we are. So the final question I have, you have had time to think about it now. It's called Craig Schumacher. Can I help you? Now, I did help you get... I did have a spiritual a, revolution. A, 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 literally a spiritual experience right before I got divorced. It was literally... I felt that the higher power was talking to me out loud. What loud. Happened? What happened? Like a loud voice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So now, I'll never forget Now we're there a fourth one, and it's great because it's climactic. Tell us about it. Well, I was contemplating whether or not to get divorced, and I was literally physically ill, which is rare for me, and I was, couldn't eat, which is another rare thing for me. I was actually sick for like two or three days, and I was trying to decide whether... Should I get divorced, not get divorced, whatever? And then I literally, it was literally, I don't know if it was the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, I had this revelation. It felt like a voice from outer space was talking to me, and it basically gave, it was like guidance. It basically told me to follow my gut instinct, which was to get divorced. And, and, and the, oh, and the voice basically said, there's no such thing as... Um, there's no such thing as condemnation. There's no such thing as guilt. There's no such thing as fear. There's no much. There's no such thing as. It's like 
it's like I felt like a free person. This I felt voice, free. This voice was contradicting some of the things you've been programmed, programmed with lead, from the yeah. beginning of your life. Right. With the religion. Exactly. It, it was contradicting. This was saying, no, no such are, thing yeah. as divorce is not a, is, sure. don't feel guilty. Don't, you know, get rid of all these preconditioned beliefs right. you have you're, about you're not going to get to heaven. Because I was raised yeah. Catholic. Right. And I felt guilty, and I yeah. didn't, and I was worried about my kids, and I was always taught that the and divorce this voice was wrong, came to you. and I had all these feelings of, you know, there's, you know, and I realized there, there's no such thing as, uh, as, uh, there's this punishing punishment. There's no such thing as punishment or, right. or condemnation. Condemnation. There's no such thing as hell. There's none of that. It's all made up. That's, no that was the revelation. And then, and it's a voice. I, I, that, did it sound like you, or did, it, it was, was like a well, southern voice, English? No. Hello, just, Francis. It was just like it you was, are free. It, it was yeah. It was like a, it was like a really a high. It just it, it was like it was like pierced my whole body. It was like a revelation, and it was like I. It was like a. It was a moment of perfect clarity. Like I'm getting, and I literally got divorced in less than five months. That's how fast that I got it. divorced. That's amazing. Because I was so determined. It was like I was guided for five months straight. And I did things so quickly and smoothly. You got to And I, didn't, I, was, I had zero fear about zero fear or guilt. Then I went to tell my mother. I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I'm getting divorced. And I think like she would get upset. And she was so calm and nice. And she's, we always wondered how you put up with her. <laughs> so she had intuitive sense. Yeah, of, she had intuitive sense, but she never said anything bad about well, honestly, my ex-wife. Or my whole I'm life. sure you know this already, yeah. but everyone who was around you was wondering yeah. how you lasted that long. Yeah, my mother. First thing my mother said, "We don't know how you put up with her." And, and this years. has nothing to do with her. It because it because you were abandoning you to be in the structure of that was put before you. Yeah. You abandoned who you truly are. So you could go along, which most people right. I bought society, into the once whole. Once you buy in, you buy you're all into in. the whole marriage, and you have to earn a living. Yeah. And then Mary Kay, I always felt that yeah, you know, I wasn't good enough, and I wasn't doing as well, and I was, you know, had to keep up with the Joneses. You empowered and someone else, yeah, other yeah. people, to dictate how you feel about. Well, yourself. I was chasing the, the you know, the whole. Yeah. What you're, what we're taught is the dream. The dream, yeah. And it's not. And all it was was. Well, stress. I might not have got into. Can I help you today with Frank Cassidy? But maybe this might have helped you who's listening, mm-hmm. because that is what I was trying to get at. Is I've observed it in my old friend Frank, and geez, as you can have heard in the podcast, we go back to sharing a cotton milk together and here we are uh both grown men with children family and we have come to the space in our lives where we don't want to stop transforming and growing and changing and evolving we want to keep on going on that path and we'd encourage your just stay with yourself and watch the groups that you join and are they fear-based are they about damnation are they about hell and the, all of that leads to a separation of you with your true self. So maybe we did help people today, Frank. Well, yeah. Here's no, Frank, the there's accountant. There's no such thing as superiority. There's right. no such thing as making a mistake. There's no really such thing as fear. There's no such thing as conditionality. Yeah. There's, you know. And yet, 
There's I'm no trying, such thing as lack. I'm trying to wrap it up. Yeah. I was trying to give yeah. like a monologue, yeah. you know, like Jerry Springer right. at yeah. the end. <laughs> I was trying to like, you know, yeah. we had a good rap there. Right. And then, you know, send it off. Right. Well, Frank Cassidy, you know, I might as well give you a plug here. If they want to, if they want to uh, have your accounting services from the transformed Frank Cassidy, uh, where do they go to find you? I know you're not on any social network. No, I'm actually on Facebook now. I know, but you don't go on Facebook. Who are you kidding? No, but they have a business. Somebody did a business Facebook. Yeah, for but me. that's somebody did one for me. It's not you. <laughs> oh, I didn't do one. Yeah, see? Uh, that, yeah. So you're not. So how do we get in touch with you? The old school phone number? Yeah, 610-667-0800. <laughs> there you go. That's Frank's number. He's had that number forever. Uh, Frank Cassidy and used Associates. Com- used to be Comcast number. Frank Cassidy and Associates? Yeah. And it's in uh, Ballot Kinwood, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's where he is. That's where we've been. And we're here in Frank's apartment. Uh, Hope you had a great time today on the podcast. We'll see you next time. Laughterheals.org. Go give it a visit. Check it out. See how you can support. It's a nonprofit organization which offers grins, giggles, and guffaws. Raises the awareness of the healing powers of laughter. Working in aftercare facilities, hospitals, warriors, cancer patients, rehabs. Well, just about everybody needs laughter. We're here to spread it around. It is the best medicine, so just open up and say ha-ha. This episode was brought to you by LaughterHeals.org. How was that for my announcery, advertising, promotion voice? LaughterHeals.org.